Happy Christmas week, everybody. Tim Priester with a full house here today on Irish Illustrated Insider. For those that saw our tweet this morning advertising our uh, podcast today, we mentioned that there would be new news. We didn't know that this would it would be quite this definitive, but Notre Dame's offensive coordinator, Jared Parker, is Notre Dame's offensive coordinator for one year. He is headed his way to Troy University, the new head coach at Troy. We have with us Tom Loy, John Bryce, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, a full house here to talk about Jared Parker taking the job at Troy, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about potential successors to Jared Parker at Notre Dame. Let's start with John Bryce. Thanks, TP. Um, yeah, huge news, huge opportunity for Jared Parker. Um, a little interesting note I discovered when I was writing this morning and last night for Football Scoop, that is Jared Parker replaces John Summerall, who just got the two-lane job. Summerall and Jared Parker were teammates together at the University of Kentucky. I have to think that that did not harm Jared uh, in his pursuit of this job. He interviewed uh, in person with them late last week. Um, it went well. He had been a finalist along with uh, the West Virginia defensive coordinator and the SMU defensive coordinator. And then Jared got requested for more interviews and meetings Sunday. Uh, and that's when things really heated up and it trended uh, very wholeheartedly in Jared Parker's direction at that point in time. Jared Parker interviews well. We can all remember when he was announced as Notre Dame's offensive coordinator. He impressed everybody, in, including the fan base. Uh, but but Tom Loy, um, we weren't expecting a, a head coaching position for Jared Parker this soon, but he interviews very well. And the job of offensive coordinator and the job of head coach are very different. And I think knowing his personality and the way he presents himself, and the connections that John just mentioned, you certainly can understand uh, why a place like Troy would be interested in him. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty excited for him, and I think he's got a chance to have some success right away. Um, a lot of talent there on that roster, um, and, and you know, and just I don't think this is anything. And I and I wrote it at Iris Illustrated. Like nobody, nobody in the class. Like come Wednesday signing day, like nobody's going to be you know, flip-flopping or wavering or decommitting because Jared Parker left. And it's not really a slight at him. It's more of just they picked Notre Dame for the right reasons. They picked Notre Dame for Marcus Freeman. They know he's going to hire a good offensive coordinator and, does, you know, they're going to have success offensively moving forward. So um, I think it's a case where everybody can be thrilled um, for Jared and, and his future and then also excited for the future of Notre Dame football because, you know, I think a lot, a lot of times where people were very hit or miss on Parker this year, he had some good moments. Had some not so good moments, um, but I think either way, with the personnel coming back next year and the guys coming in, um, I think um, no matter who's going to, you know, who the offensive coordinator is going to be, they're going to have a lot more success offensively. Tim O'Malley. Yeah, mine is more about going forward. Um, I, I I know that you know Marcus Freeman obviously has ideas immediately, maybe one idea, maybe three of who he wants. I think the most important thing is we've joked about this. I think Pete, Tim, and I joke about this since the Tommy Reese hiring, which did end up working out, but the Tommy Reese hiring was not a nationwide search. It was an in-house search. This has to be, if not an exhaustive nationwide search, a very wise nationwide search, because as Tom points out, the issue with a changing your offensive coordinator on December 18th is signing day is coming up. Well, if everything works out fine on signing day, you have a little bit of a window here to hire one of the best college offensive coordinators or find out if one of the best NFL offensive coordinators is involved in the search, because we all know you're allowed to interview as an NFL office coordinator in early January. And even during 
they, they don't stop you. That's how they don't even got Charlie Weiss. He just happened to be too loyal to the Patriots, so he couldn't come on soon enough. Marcus Freeman has the opportunity to have a great hire here, and due diligence is the most important thing going forward. Pete Sampson, what is the athletics perspective? Uh, I mean, the the connections that Bryce mentioned up are legit. Um, I think that from I would look at it more from Notre Dame's point of view. It's like, look, this I think this gives Marcus chance and a Marcus Freeman a, a chance at a do over um, at a process that did not run smoothly at all a year ago. Um, I'm told that he has a preferred candidate in mind. It's it would be an external candidate. It's worth pointing out a year ago. He had two external candidates that he had in mind and he ended up having to go internal. So it, uh, I think it just, it really lets Marcus pivot in a way that um, maybe he privately would have wanted to, but couldn't um, because he wanted to stick with the continuity and he's close with Jared Parker. So now it kind of forces him to get out of his comfort zone um, offensively in a way that um, I'm sure he would be prepared for a year from now, but, He's got to he's got to make a move now. Um, so I'm I'm fascinated to sort of see how prepared he is. But when I hear that he already has a candidate in mind for it and it's external external, that would sort of lead me down a path like the confidence that this can go in a good direction. Yeah, and I want to clarify: I've never I've never been. You can't hire this guy internally because I know so much about these guys. Like Jared Parker could have worked out great. Tommy Reese could have worked out great. Ela McCullough, Gina Gaduli, Joe Rudolph. Anybody could work out great. My point is, you better do your best to find the best candidate. And as Pete pointed out, in fairness, he did hire, he did look for two exterior or uh, external candidates last year and, and he went in house, but I'm not saying you can't ever hire in house and, and succeed. It's just that that is not your first move and say, okay, it's, it's tidy. Let's go. Now there's a bowl game to be played here uh, in, in uh, about 10 days or so. And Gino Gaduli obviously is the yeah, choice of the offensive coordinator. For for the uh, for the Sun Bowl against Oregon State, but but John Bryce, uh, where do you think Notre Dame goes? Do you agree with Sampson in terms of Gaduli not or or an in-house uh, move not being made by Marcus Freeman? No, I, I fully expect have have heard similarly that Marcus will look outside and has some folks already in mind. I would also point out that a year ago it wasn't just um wasn't just Andy Ludwig. And Colin Klein that that Marcus had in intense discussions with those are the only two he brought into town, I believe. But they talked also with Sean Lewis, who ended up going to Colorado and is now the head coach at San Diego State. But but um, Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman very thoroughly vetted Sean Lewis last year, um, who was a head coach in the MAC at that point in time and hadn't been hired away by by Dion. Lewis runs a little bit uh, wider wider open, more up tempo offense than I think what Marcus was looking for. Uh, here at Notre Dame, but but I think he was fairly thorough last year and some things fell apart. I expect him to be thorough again this year. There are some candidates out there, I think, that are already kind of starting to emerge. Uh, um, certainly, uh, it's worth noting that uh, one Riley Leonard's offensive coordinator, um, Kevin Johns, has not gone to Texas A&M, is not expected to go to Texas A&M, is expected to be available. So I would expect there would be some conversations of some sort uh, along those lines, but I, I think it will be a, a very thorough process. It's interesting now because they already fired Chancey Stuckey and hired his replacement. Um, and a lot of offensive coordinators want to at least bring one person with them. So I do think that's an interesting dynamic in this search moving forward. Pamela, how do you think this process is going to unfold here in the next few days? I mean, I said it before we started, but I, I, I think he's probably already got his mind made up. 
Um, when I talked to people this morning to try to like just casually ask, did you hear? A lot of them were like, yeah, like it was not a shock to them and they knew about it. So it makes me think like Marcus had an, a pretty good idea this was going to happen for a while. So um, I know Pete said that he's got uh, like a, a prime candidate already in mind. And I think that's the case. It wouldn't shock me if, you know, he made a run at Missouri's Kirby Moore. That wouldn't be, you know, Alabama's got a pretty good offensive coordinator. Um, yeah, that wouldn't happen. But no, I, I think in a perfect, perfect scenario, I think that, and, and Mike Denbrock's probably too expensive now. So um, I think Kirby Moore would be a great hire. Um, I know that there was some, some talk about uh, Jamarcus Shepard leaving Washington to try to get, he wants to be a coordinator. Um, I just don't, obviously, when you already hire a receivers coach, that's probably not going to work, like like JB said. So um, I, I'm sure he knows exactly who he wants to hire. I just don't know how quickly, um, you know, like like O'Malley said, like it could take some time. Yeah, that that's my question, because he had his mind made up on a couple people last year, and obviously that fell through. What, it, what like, is this process going to uh, transpire? Will we go through this process in a different manner than the way it unfolded last year? That I can't answer, but I mean, I talked to somebody inside the, the building this morning. They kind of like laughed about it. They were there was no stress about this move. There, they, I mean, from 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 all accounts, it seems like Marcus Freeman's very comfortable with everything. And I, I would assume something's going to happen sooner rather than later. I don't think they want to let a lot of time go by. So I think within a week, we'll have a pretty good idea where this is trending. Jump in, guys. I would just say that um, also it, it's entirely different than a year ago because Tommy ended up leaving a little bit later in the cycle. He left in early February, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and they hired Jared Parker somewhere around February 15th, or, or he was uh, officially promoted sometime in the in the fe February 15th time window. So it's an it's an earlier occurrence this time around, and certainly then I think that allows you to uh, expedite the hiring timetable a good bit, and you're going to have coaches. Look, every coach in America, for the most part right now, is trying to get to Wednesday and survive the crux of signing day and hold their classes together. But there will be a lot of assistant coach movement, not just at the University of Notre Dame, after signing day kind of unfolds this week. I, I was going to – the one thing I wanted to add, and you're you're losing – you already lost two of the coaches so far, so maybe there won't be another one. But when you say, you know, it's a lot of coaches want to bring a coach in with them, so that could be a rough dynamic. I mean – JB, we've talked about this a lot. This, I, I still say, coaching defections are coming. That there will be there will be people that are asked to go to more promotions. Jared Parker wasn't one of our first guys we said last week. I said Al Golden and Mike Mickens and Dila McCullough when they said, "What's the over under one point five? And I said, "Over for the rest of our lives." Yeah. Well, I guarantee it's still going over. So for, you know, for, th these things open up. Another uh, one. Yeah, they, they they open up, and it's not they don't open up before the bowl games. Yeah. I mean, to, on the assistant point, like Al Golden came here and the staff was here. Uh, Tommy Reese yeah. went to Alabama. The staff was there. I Not that I'm saying that that's not important to attract an OC, but at a place like Notre Dame where you look at the track record of where the coordinators have gone on and how many head coaching stops have come immediately from Notre Dame for a coordinator, this, is, this should be a very attractive position. And talking to, um, you know, like, Coaches, current and former, um, the perspective on like just compensation for Notre Dame staff is like Notre Dame will pay coordinators a very high level. Um, maybe not everyone, not all assistant coaches, but Notre Dame pays out at coordinator. So you have the upward mobility of Notre Dame. Um, I think a head coach that's pretty easy to work for. Um, 
and the compensation is good. Like there's this, this should be a very attractive job for many coordinators at, at multiple levels. Pete, are you hearing any other specific names that, that you're in a position to talk about? No, I'm not. I, you know, it's Kirby Moore is the one that was mentioned to me and like in full disclosure, like probably a, a month and a half ago, probably similar to you guys. Like you're calling around cause you think Jared Parker may not be retained and you're thinking about, okay, who's going to be the next coordinator and Kirby Moore was mentioned to me then. Um, beyond that, I'm not really sure. I just, I, I've, I floated the idea to somebody I talked to this morning about like, I think Marcus could do well to hire sort of the Al Golden of defense, somebody with a little bit more experience than maybe the young up and coming guy. But I don't, I don't know if Marcus will see it that way. And you mentioned uh, as far as Kirby Moore and, and play calling at Missouri, Pete. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, Eli Drinkwitz is an offensive head coach. Um, that's, you know, he's, I think Kirby Moore is incredibly talented uh, and very well respected. Um, he's just on the, uh, the greener side in terms of his overall experience. Tim. No, I, I, uh, I, I mean, I agree with Pete on the L golden part though, that that would be my final. I would do the due. That's part of the due diligence is an L golden type candidate, whether you choose him or not. I'm not saying hire that guy, the L golden type candidate that that should be part of your plan. I was adamant when they hired Marcus Freeman and we saw this staff coming together that his defensive coordinator better be a guy that has head coaching experience. And I think that was a lot more obvious than this is. It was a it was a huge need at that point with that staff. He's going to his third year. It would help because he's not an offensive coach. It, it would obviously help. But I don't think it's that's the most important thing. That was paramount in 2022. What if, uh, and we've talked about him, I think, twice now in two different searches but joe moorhead i mean would you would that check a I box i accidentally referenced him today too when i said full on coaching surf with tommy reese yeah. yeah i mean that's kind of what andy ludwig was right i mean that was the the boxes that andy ludwig checked were kind of yeah. the the al golden boxes um, yeah i was I, I i was gonna say there that you know you're talking the guy that you're talking about is andy ludwig that's probably unrealistic joe moorhead it was Marcus Freeman resistant to Joe Moorhead last year. I mean, when you talk about first names that were thrown out as, as candidates to replace Tommy Reese, Joe Moorhead to the best of my recollection was one of the first names that we heard about. I mean, I remember him being involved. I just don't know if he ever actually reached out, but I know he was definitely somebody that was considered for the job. Uh, I just didn't know if it got as far as, as uh, Marcus reaching out. So Anything else you guys want to add to this guy? I think we pretty much covered it before, during, and after here, the uh, the, the coordin- offensive coordinator situation at Notre Dame. I would just uh, further uh, agree with Pete on, on the salary component. And we've discussed in recent weeks on the pod that, that Al Golden is v- very well compensated up there in the top five in college football, right around $2 million. Tommy Reese was in that same neighborhood. They had Jared Parker on a little bit of a discount, but Jared Parker was still over $1 million. So I would emphasize exactly. There's a narrative out there. And I think some teams try to use it against Notre Dame on the recruiting trail or on the coaches recruiting trail that the Notre Dame doesn't pay. And that's just, that's not accurate, particularly um, at the head coaching and top assistant coaching positions. Notre Dame will pay and and has now for several years with golden and Tommy Reese uh, and still Al golden been at the top of the salary pool in those two sp- positions specifically. We have a lot of other topics to talk about today. We certainly didn't go into this day thinking that it was only going to be about Jared Parker and his successor at Notre Dame, but we're going to come out, come back for segment two, burning up the boards. Questions, Tom Loy, thanks for joining us. Tom Loy will be back 
with uh, Tim O'Malley and myself and Kevin Sinclair on, on, I'm sorry, Tim O'Malley won't be here Thursday. It'll be Tom and Kevin Sinclair and myself on Thursday as we talk about the signing day uh, on Wednesday. But uh, for now, that's the end of segment one, coming back, burning up the boards. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit gamedayyourway.com. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question is from Maltese Irish. Although he did so at an NFL level, do you have any concerns over Landau never having coordinated a college strength and conditioning program? I, I, I mean, I, I would imagine that there, that there are some people where that would be an issue with, but so when he talks to, like, first of all, he's worked with people of all ages, and so when he, he goes from an NFL and then has to talk to college players, he's in, he's incapable of communicating with them. I, I just don't, I don't think that that's a normal deduction just because he hasn't coached in, on the collegiate maybe, level. Maybe he's, more, maybe more the question, Tim, would be um, how the calendar year would be so much different for the training. Is that possible? Well, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a learning curve, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, I just, you know, I, I I think that in in every time somebody's hired, there there's that initial reaction to oh well he didn't do this he didn't do this he didn't do this. I don't really see how that applies to somebody whose life has has been devoted to the development of of football players. I think it I think it crosses crosses borders, especially when you're talking when especially when you're talking about University of Notre Dame level football players. I would say, like, I I would have a concern about it, but I would phrase it this way. Like, if everybody on Notre Dame's roster was J.D. Bertrand, I would have zero concerns about it. But that's not the case. Um, And there was a a podcast where uh, Landau talked about, you know, his adjustment to the NFL um, versus the private sector is around trading facility. This is his quote. When you're working with guys in the private sector, you're working with guys who want to be there. They're paying their hard earned money to be coached. When you get into the NFL, there's going to be guys looking at the clock in college. There's going to be a lot of guys looking at the clock. Um, And that was a big adjustment for him in the NFL. And I think it will be even more so at Notre Dame um, about guys that, either don't know how to train, uh, don't know what hard training looks like or feels like, um, guys that maybe aren't playing that think that they should be. It's it's tough. Um, you so, know. so then he, so he's incapable of of teaching those? Why, why would we conclude that he's incapable of teaching those people? Well, that's not what I'm concluding. I'm saying that it's an adjustment for him. Like, if somebody like Bertrand or Drew Tranquil, guys that are meeting you more than halfway in terms of training because they're into it. Um, those guys, I think he will have a great relationship with. Um, but guys who need to learn lessons that he hasn't built a career around teaching, that, that will be an adjustment for him, I think, especially at the college level. Yeah, I would I would chime in and, and say um, 
there, there's some merit to that uh, debate. I would also point to the fact that that Marcus Freeman, I think, does a nice job of having his finger on the pulse of his program and has very much um, worked and focused on building the culture that he wants. And it's a culture of accountability and peer leadership. And um, so this is a, an instance where I think the return of Jack Kaiser is huge. The return of Riley Mills and Howard Cross are huge because those guys can be conduits uh, between Landau and Marcus Freeman in the locker room to help make sure things are implemented the right way and to help make sure that there is um, that that individual ownership that becomes a collective ownership. Um, and I know, and in, in, I know Pete and you other guys have reached out to some people uh, over the past couple of days about him. I know everybody talks about how sharp Lauren Landau is, how smart he is. Yes, there's going to be a transition, um, but he's worked with some of the best of the best. And I think that's a way you get guys' attention. Okay, you don't want to listen to me? Well, you know, I've trained Von Miller. I've trained Peyton Manning. I've worked with Brady Quinn and his family. Like, you're not listening to me. That's fine. Go see, you know, go look at what those guys are doing right now or what those guys have done or what those female Olympians have done. So, yeah, I don't think it's it's fair to assume that it can't be done. I, I also think it would be naive not to acknowledge there's there's a transitionary phase there. Yeah, I did a quick look. There's 25 graduates and seniors. There won't be. There's some guys. That includes J.D. Bertrand, so he doesn't count. But right now, there's 25 graduates and seniors, another 18 juniors. So you're looking at 43 upperclassmen. Let's say there's 38 upperclassmen. He gets to help lead the way in the winter and spring. You figure you lose five more. There's a lot of guys that, from the outside looking in, would seem dedicated to college strength and conditioning at a championship level. And then there's some, obviously there's some guys that aren't. And I think those are the guys that are nowadays separated much more quickly than they used to be because it's much easier to separate those guys from the team that it used to be. When you're a junior, you can have a conversation with someone in December, your head coach, you got a year left. You can stay here and graduate, but you don't work hard enough. It's easier to separate those guys than it used to be. It's the teaching of the sophomores and freshmen, as Pete pointed out, that's a little bit tougher. Um, than teaching the upperclassmen, I think the correct way of doing things because those guys have already decided that they're doing things the incorrect way. So, did well, and you're what Matt, Matt Bayless didn't deal with players like this. I mean, those yeah, players. No, I'm just saying the reality of the, of the guy, a new guy coming in. The reality of a new guy coming in has a whole new room. But I think he has a fair fair amount of guys that are not JD Bertrands, but that you walk in and you know they're ready. You know they're going to beat you, as Pete said, more than halfway. When I'm, yeah. If I look at the 25 seniors and graduates off the top of my head, not knowing everybody's personality. I'd say 17 of them would meet you halfway right away. And you're probably getting rid of a couple of them. Yeah. And it's like with Matt Bayless, he had done that at Mississippi state. So he got, to, he got to learn that somewhere else gets to Notre Dame can apply those lessons. Um, I think in this instance, it's like, there's going to be a lot of learning on the fly. Um, that's okay. Uh, he, I mean, it, it was really interesting to listen to his interview because he was, it reminded me a little bit of Marcus in terms of how upfront he was about what he didn't know, um, which I find refreshing uh, but he, you know he said that you know the the guys who just are not are there as a job to punch the clock uh was it was a different experience for him as a trainer um and that was that was one of the big lessons or i think he used the term shock uh when he got to the nfl which i, I wouldn't even think of um but i think that will that will carry over at notre dame too one one other element of the dynamic that I think is is worth monitoring is, is T.O. just talked about how many veterans are on this team and he needs to get their buy-in and get them to help, and I think that he will. Um, I also believe this is a roster, the ones that are returning 
saw how different things were over the August through today because there was no Matt Bayless. And, and I've talked to people within the last week uh, over on campus who have indicated they very much miss Matt Bayless over the course of the season. And so now that they've lived without him, I would expect that could also help expedite the buy-in with the new guy. And then you have a new signing class coming in or signing Wednesday and CJ Carr's already here. CJ Carr never worked out with Matt Bayless. So this guy's going to come in and have a clean slate with this new signing class. And yeah, you've got some guys coming out of the portal who all did it differently at their previous schools, but they, they don't have a pre-existing notion of what it was at Notre Dame under Matt Bayless. So I also think that helps him have a clean slate and get rolling. Question from Kev Kev 561. It seems like a lot of Notre Dame media was surprised with Charles Jagasaw starting at left tackle for the bowl game, including Irish illustrated. What did you see from Tosh Baker that led you to believe he would be the left tackle moving forward and not Jagasaw. If I may interject quickly, I think we were all shocked, but it wasn't what we saw from Tosh Baker. It was how logic works out in sports, and Tosh Baker was going to be elevated to that position for the bowl game instead of Charles Jagasa. Uh, Tosh Baker has struggled whenever he has been put in the position of high-leverage situations, but as I said to, I'm not sure if it was Thursday or Monday last week, Tim, I mentioned that when Blake Fisher, the only situation Baker had to come into this year was Louisville. Blake Fisher hurt his hand and came out. Baker, the left tackle, came in at right tackle, um, which means he was just the first tackle off the bench. That's why I thought Tosh Baker would be one of the two starters. If you mentioned Jagasa, I'd be like, oh, I wonder if he overtook Emil Wagner. That's interesting. Well, it's better news that he overtook Tosh Baker. Much yeah. better. And I thought, I mean, I thought by your logic as well that it would be Tosh Baker. I thought that Tosh Baker and Emil, having been in the program longer, would be the logical choices to step in for Alt and Fisher. I, it doesn't mean I didn't think Jagasaw wouldn't make it a competition in the spring and have every opportunity to win the job because his upside is tremendous. People on campus believe he's going to be a future NFL player, but I think it was reasonable to expect he might not immediately slot into starting at a bowl. Yeah, and the, you know, the last time we saw Jagasaw in a competitive practice situation, he was playing guard. So. You know, I mean, we had a lot of times a freshman goes through an entire season and he's not talked about because he's not in the running for playing time. Uh, and, you know, we hadn't heard anything about Jagasa, but I will say this about like the initial, the question here is about Tosh Baker. I know Tosh Baker was a former basketball player, but he was slow afoot. And that's why I always wondered why is he at left tackle and Wagner's at, at right tackle. Tim, you, you, you've explained that a couple of times now, but Baker is massive, and I just don't think that he has very quick feet, especially for a left tackle position. I don't think there's we have seen something from Tosh Baker on a Saturday where like, yes, that's that's the guy. Um, but we definitely hadn't seen it from Jagasaw either. Uh, I mean, I, I went out to Iowa to spend some time with him and watch him train. I mean, super impressive kid, very mature, um, light on his feet. I. I think it was just with the injury situation yeah. that he had. You're kind of like, okay, maybe it's a, a full 12 month, 18 month comeback from that. Um, so for him to be back already um, where he can start a bowl game is super impressive. And it's like of all the off season news, if oh. you're, if you're trying to find something that is quote unquote exciting, Charles Jagasaw moving ahead of Emil Wagner and Tosh Baker would be something that would qualify. That might be number one. And I want to go back to what Pete said about the injury situation, because Tim and I talked about this on the weekend because our weekends aren't off anymore in December. 
Um, Jagasso was basically asked in the not so subtle way about redshirting when he showed up in July to the first media day. And unlike other guys where he's like, oh, yeah, I'll just, you know, take his account. He's like, yeah, I mean, the injury really put me back. If they want to redshirt me, that's fine. I'm going to work my way not to redshirt. Like he he literally is the only guy that ever said, yeah, the injury really set me back. I might not be able to play this year, but I'm working on playing this year. Well, kudos to him because he's playing this year. But he had the most self-awareness of like, yeah, I had a really bad knee injury. I weigh 330. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. wasn't supposed I mean, to be in this position. When we saw him in July and August, it was like, okay, well. He's overweight because he had a knee injury and he yeah. can't can't get in, in great shape. And then obviously that knee got better as he went along. But again, it was an out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Um, I, I'm, I may have asked that question because I had heard that Jagasaw was making a move. I did not expect Marcus Freeman to say he was starting at left tackle. No. That's very good news, as Pete Sampson said. CMU Pennspan, which guys are in the biggest need of weight room time before spring practice? I think we just used one of the names. Emil Wagner. Yes. <laughs> uh, he, made, uh, he made great strides from the year before uh, leading into this season, and he got up to 288, but he needs to be a little bit you know, heavier than that. Um, and he will be. It's just how you carry it, right? How, yeah, how exactly. Yep. Exactly. And, He's uh, got to more than that. Yeah, he will. He definitely will. I, you know, the first guy that came to mind for me, in addition to Wagner, of course, was a guy that I know they like that they intend to elevate up to uh, uh, scholarship status, and that's Luke Tellich. Great-looking athlete. Very thin. I mean, again, in July and August when we saw him, it's like, man, that kid's skinny, but boy, can he move. Yeah, I mean, for for me, it's the guys on the on the offensive line for first and foremost, um, very much at the forefront. That's you're re- replacing uh, so much of your offensive line moving forward, not just this game, but but for 2024. And I think we it's going to be some younger players. So yeah, they have to get in the in the weight room and get stronger and do some things. Um, certainly, you want to see Jeremiah Love after that much more time in the weight room and at the training table and able to do all of those things. He and Jadarian Price are by nature going to have to carry a much heavier load next year. And uh, that begins in the Sun Bowl. So yeah, those are the, some of the ones that, that stick out to me as well. I mean, hey, can we throw CJ Carr in there? He's he's a high school kid still. Um, not saying he's going to play next year in a, in a meaningful way, but um, by the time does come, he's a pretty big framed kid. Um, and you know could use use a solid year under a strength coach um you know because i think again as o'malley mentioned i think cj carr is kind of one of those conscientious kids who's going to meet you more than halfway about like you tell me what to do i'll i'll go do it um i think a, a year of that kind of development would be significant you know we could we could name a whole bunch of guys younger guys i mean i think about Okay, where do they go at strong side defensive end? Yeah, that's, RJ, my, that's my pick. Right. I mean, R.J. Oban obviously comes in, but, you know, Brendan Vernon's a guy that I'm I'm really bullish on. I'm going to remain bullish on him, as you know, until until he proves that he can't play. And obviously he just got there as getting started. But uh, he's a guy that if you, you know, if you slap on some pounds with him, I think he's a, he, I think he's a guy that could, uh, you know, get some rotational snaps. I like Vernon a lot, but I, until I can ask this question, I want to see Bubakar Traore grow and see if he can be Khalid Kareem on the strong side as opposed to the next Viper. Oh. His frame with those his long arm frame and body can carry twelve to fifteen more pounds easily. And I just want to see that 
possibility. So, so who's playing an effective Viper for them in 2024 if he's not? Uh, I mean, that's where all their players are still. I'm not sure they're effective, but they have them all back. Oh, plus, they're at, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying they need another strong side end too, right? Oben's yeah. not a proven strong side end yeah. run stopper either. I just I love that idea. I want to talk to Notre Dame's coaches about it, and he just looks like he could grow and be a monster at that position. But I get it. You need a Viper, but you need strong. You don't need a. Yeah. You don't need bodies at Viper. You need proven players, but you need bodies and proven players at strong side end. How much? Pro, how much I'm, how mean, sorry, I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say prospects, not suspects. Yes, yeah. There's there's dudes listed there, but they're not dudes. So, how much bigger does Eli Raritan need to get? You know, I mean, I think people like they they see him on television, and he he's so long that he's he looks trim looking. Isn't I don't know though. I just don't know. He looks trim to me. He looks trim. Well, he does, and I yeah. think it, I, I think he strikes us all that way. But then when you get and when you're down on the football field with him, it's like, man, that's a that's a big long dude. I, you know, I don't, I don't know how much, I, I don't know how much stronger he needs to be more effective than, than he has been. Certainly, he needs to stay healthy here for the next few months. Yeah, I think I, I, I just don't want to make any judgment on Eli Reardon trying to come back and play after two ACLs in his. You know me, I was trying to get him a four game stint so he could redshirt. So, yeah. uh, we're gonna learn all about him coming up not so far what we've seen i would imagine jordan Faison needs another coat of armor on him as well as impressive as he's been um you know those young safeties obviously have to get stronger too question from denver maximus with with jack kaiser back how do you see the linebacker rotation looking not only in a bowl game but to open spring practice i think the bowl is easy because thomas harper's going to start at nickel jack kaiser at will and jd bertrand at mike and if they feel like subbing, they will. <laughs> they, I mean, that that's a winning trio right there. They don't have to go to base very often. Yeah, and I, I would even, the bowl sort of takes care of itself. But in spring practice, like, does Jack Kaiser need really a ton of reps at will if Al Golden is still the defensive coordinator? Probably not. Um, I think that would be a good developmental time for Snead, maybe Osbury. Um, certainly Drake Bowen will be, be put in a different kind of position than, than Sneed would. But um, yeah, Freeman did say Freeman did say Sneed at will for the bowl game. Correct. I believe that that's how I interpreted and his I, comments. He, and then when they, the when they go does. base, when they go base, he okay, said, he said base. Yes. Yeah. So they're not going to go. They're going to play Thomas Harper and Jack Kaiser together. Cause oh, they finally course, have their chance. But yeah. when they go base, Sneed seems to be the next linebacker in at will. They're fine. T.O., they're finally going to get Harper and Kaiser on a field together. All I think they needed. Man, I just <laughs> think that defense could have been pretty good this year if they would have done that once. JB, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I think exactly what you guys have said, but I do think we'll get a we'll get some more Drake Bowen and Jaden Osbury sprinkled in, in addition to those guys. I just think that the Notre Dame is very much taking a forward-looking approach with this. Marcus was very candid about those guys being in position for more work. Uh, when he spoke with us on Saturday, there's going to be a, a general youth movement in this game for both teams and on both sides of the ball, and it's a perfect opportunity. You need those guys not just building on um, bowl practices to springboard into the to spring, but you need them building on late season experience to sort of polish off what they've been able to learn, particularly for a guy like Osbury, who looked really good early in the season, flashed on special teams but just played his four games and has not appeared since then, it's a great opportunity for him. 
I was going to bring him up, John, because, I mean, everybody's impressed with Drake Bowen and thinks he's going to be a good linebacker. I'm not sure. We've talked about Osbury, but I I think he's got, I think he has a chance to be a sensational linebacker. He's instinctive. Um, he he knows how to play the game. I like the way he carries himself on the field and off the field. I think he's going to be a pretty special player. I'm not sure we're going to see it on December 29th. Yeah. I think he's got a great future ahead of him at Notre Dame. Yeah, very, very bullish on Osbury's future. Very bullish. He just, he does so many things well, and his football IQ is really, really strong. And these guys are going to benefit so much from Jack Kaiser's return. And I've never been more confused about a freshman's position because when he talked to us about his positions, he talked about the two he likes. And they were completely different. Well, I like Mike. And I like Rover. And then we see him listed as the backup will once in a while. So I don't know where he's going to play, but we're going to find out. That is the most exciting part of Tuesday's practice. Let's see where they're lined up. Because where they're lined up is where they're training for the bowl game at this point. No doubt. Pete, I'm going to the next next question here. Pete, you, you brought it up to Marcus Freeman on Saturday. And I had just written about this in Thursday Thoughts. And it's a question from Stan in Tampa, not Stan the caddy. Indy students just finished off final exams last week. If Notre Dame football had a playoff game this past Saturday, do you think this could affect their performance next year and other years, similar to how midterms affect them during the regular season? I think we saw a Notre Dame basketball team on Saturday impacted by final exams because they were not good. That was that was a really bad performance for uh, for Micah Shrewsbury's team. Uh, yeah, it's it's a total disaster. Um, I think John talked about this maybe on podcast a couple of weeks ago it's just like the ncw calendar is is poorly thought out it's not getting any better it will get worse um and if notre dame isn't dealing with a playoff game then something something went a little screwy next season so it um i i don't really know how they're supposed to deal with this uh i you know maybe the playoffs slow down some lateral coaching moves maybe it slows down some portal activity um Certainly would slow down some opt-outs, you would think. But the, um the portal has to change, right, Pete and JV? The portal timing was, has to change. Yeah, just ha- like the this is the the college football calendar and the academic calendar don't need to be as linked up as they are, which is a different podcast for a different time, but that we have to think a little bit bigger picture and outside the box on on these things. Yeah, and and look, we we're seeing modifications to those windows right now, to those time frames right now. I mean, the the portal opened December fourth, and as I've said, I ad nauseum on here, it's only thirty days this time instead of forty five. Then it's not open all spring the way it has been in the past, and then it opens again for only two weeks to close April. I think April fifteenth to the thirtieth. It had been open from like mid April until the second week of May. Uh, so that's been shrunk as well. Then. Come May, I believe, May of 24, we will get the calendar moving forward for 24, 25, and we'll have a better idea. But it is a topic uh, that has been discussed, is being addressed. It's something that will be discussed very heavily next month at the AFCA convention in Nashville. Um, I'll be there. So again, that that's it's a moving target. The the time the time frame we're all talking about right now has been absolute chaos for Marcus Freeman and every head coach and GM and and DFO and DPP all around college football. Um, And it's been chaos. It won't be exactly the same next year. There's still going to be elements of chaos to it. Yeah. There's some smart people that need to put their heads together and make some really, really positive decisions there. And as far as playoffs next year, as you move to 12 teams, it is, it is absolutely playoff or bust. Now, if Nord every, every season in Nordane, 
does not make the playoffs. Well, you know, most of the upper echelon teams, that's a bust of a year now that it's been expanded to 12. Question from uh, Irish from A2. Actually, two questions from Irish from A2. The first one for JB, do you expect Jim Harbaugh to be the coach of Michigan next year? I do not. I don't have anyone who tells me they expect Jim Harbaugh to be the head coach of Michigan next year, whether that's agents around the country, whether that's other coaches, uh, whether that's people in Michigan. There is nobody who expects Jim Harbaugh to be the head coach at Michigan next year that I've talked to. Question number two from Irish from A2, does Notre Dame need a third transfer wide receiver? Yes, because after the spring, they will have one less wide receiver for sure, because they always do. Well, plus they might have a really good one on the hook here. Well, that's true too, but even if they don't, <laughs> it's, it's the, the spring's portal might have shrunk, but it's not small enough to not lose a wide receiver who's number 10 on the depth chart. Yeah, it's a, I could I could be convinced that they don't, um, but if you got a third one, I would be fine with that too, especially if he was built a little bit more like uh, like another Bo Collins type of player. They don't need one now. They will need one. How's that? That's my way of looking at this when you're in the general a, manager world talking coaches into logic. a reasonable spring portal shopping move to make you don't need to take one now just to take one i think you no, can be patient no. on it right in fact if yeah. you take one now just to take one you're forcing your hand too fast but, really don't want to do that you have a shot at jamal banks oh, and, and i think the difference between jamal banks and bo collins and I, and I think it's important that as you always say to if why not have both <laughs> But the I, what I think the difference between those two athletes is that that Jamal Banks's route tree is much more extensive than Bo Collins. And now that they're close to, he's visited. He's going to he went to Minnesota. He's going to go to Michigan. I I kind of got my hopes up, guys. I I, I want to bring this up because I'm not sure JB was ever on a pod when we talked about it. But a long time ago, must have been 2018. He texted me. Alabama was playing. It was 2017. Alabama <laughs> was playing Georgia in the championship game. And he texted me. But speaking of, we want to have both. Oh. It was, he said, Tim, that's their Michael Young. Pete, who are you texting about? Oh, man. Uh, Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle. Yeah. <laughs> that was when he said, that's their <laughs> Michael oh, Young. I remember that. <laughs> and I, I read know. the text and thought, yeah, that's the definition of having both I, right there. I that's couldn't the... remember if it was Waddle or Rugs who I was talking yeah, about, it was... but either way. <laughs> it doesn't really matter, Pete. No. I'll just interject quickly and say Notre Dame has now made official that uh, Gino will be the interim offensive coordinator for the bowl game. Uh, and then they'll elevate Caleb Carbine, who's been a senior offensive analyst. Um, he's going to be the tight ends coach for the remainder of the month. I, I see some people suggesting that Dylan McCullough be the, the should have been the offense court. Now, look, it's a football game. You can call the glorified scrimmage if you want, but it's on TV and people are well, maybe about a quarter of the stadium is, is spending money to buy tickets. Gino Gadulli has coordinating experience. He's, He's the kind guy. of involved already. So that's oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a that's a no brainer. That has to be done. And it's a win that Notre Dame needs. It's it's a game that Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman specifically needs to win. We, Pete, we've all talked about this one. That t- people do not understand how much Marcus Freeman wants this tenth win. And JB and I talked about this separately. How bad he needs to win it for the. I would say that Marcus Freeman months. probably wants to win this game more than anyone listening to this podcast. Yes, by a wide margin. He does, and. Uh... He's a head coach, and I get it. I understand why he wants to win the 10th. But even, even outside of that, Tim, I think this is a pretty important not loss. How's that? A not loss? 
That's the best way to call it. Yeah, I mean, I get you. Look, both teams are depleted, but but when an Oregon State is depleted, you Notre Dame absolutely positively expects to and should win the football game, and I and I believe that they will. Plus, I mean, we see it every year when you like when they when they beat South Carolina South Carolina last year, it just springboards you into the into January, and you feel so much better about the direction you're going when you lose, no matter how you lose that cloud hangs over you until you get into spring ball. And it's just, it's just important. I, I, every game's important to win. I, I, when I understand if you play, if it's a baseball team or a basketball team with a football team, every game is important to win. Next question from Jay Marasco. After several games of Marcus Freeman's tenure, there was lots of discussion about his in-game coaching. After 10 games of the Shrewsbury era, what's your thoughts on his pregame preparation, in-game adjustments, player rotation, offensive approach, and sideline demeanor? John, you go first. Um, I love his intensity. I absolutely love his intensity. I love the fact that he's not afraid to coach guys in the moment. I think he's growing in some some aspects, not just because it's his first year at Notre Dame, but it's only his third year as a major college basketball head coach. So I do think he's growing and evolving in some of those things. Um, you know, you're disappointed if you're Notre Dame because you seemingly had control Saturday and you'd you'd used a, a 12 to two run to take a 35 to 26 lead late in the half. You're at home and then you have a couple of boneheaded decisions that unfold. You, you take an ill-advised three, you commit a foul and a transition going the other way. It was an important foul because it was Marcus Burton's second. There had been the ill-advised three. Those are coaching moments. He talked about those post-game Saturday, about wanting to coach players right there in the moment, saying, why wait for film? I know what I'm going to see on film. So um, he's not a finished product any more than, than this Notre Dame basketball team is a finished product 10 games into the season. I expect Micah Shrewsbury – to be a better coach in-game coach at the end of January. And I expect this to be a better team at the end of January and so on. I, I, I too love his sideline demeanor. He's coaching his butt off. That's what this program desperately needed. Um, you know, I mean, offensive approach, I think his offensive approach is fine. The problem is he doesn't have the components to be a consistent say. offensive. <laughs> Not a lot of choices there. Yeah, no. I will. I will add this um, as as I sit here and think about it, and it's my fault for I hadn't scrolled that far down the, the questions, and so uh, I'll admit I was not prepared for a basketball question. But as I think more about it, I was very stunned to see Jr. Konezny not play a literal second in overtime on Saturday, and he didn't play. I want to say maybe the last three and a half minutes of the game. And the guy was nearly at, at a double-double. He had 13-8. and eight. He was highly efficient. Now, look, Jr. was bad from three-point land on Saturday, and he was 0 for 6. But I like his three-point shot. He can make it. Um, you needed him. He does some things. He's got a little bit more size. He's hustling his butt off on both ends of the floor. So I will say that was a coaching move that surprised me. And so I, that's why I also made it a point to ask Jr. postgame, Hey, were you, were you healthy and available in overtime? He made it clear he was healthy and available in overtime. JB, I had the exact same reaction. I, I could not believe that he didn't get off the bench in in overtime. I think anytime there's a a, a father son coach player situation, O'Malley, you have to deal with this. I ha- I dealt with that in, in high school. Yet everybody is hypersensitive to the coach's son playing too much. Now. In fairness, J.R. Konesny, as well as he, as many of the positive things he did Saturday, 
he was a minus 20, which I, I was a proponent of the plus minus rating of players decades ago. And when they finally instituted, I was pretty pumped about it. He was in a minus 20. Now, I don't think that's all on him. Uh, but, you know, Bra- I, I, I like Braden Shrewsbury's courage and go for it attitude when it comes to shooting. But there are times where he plays too much. I mean, it, there just is. And I think Saturday was one of them. Last thing I want to say about this, I've always loved Ed Cooley as a coach. I loved him at Providence. When Georgetown named him, I thought that was a great move. I think Ed Cooley is going to bring Georgetown basketball back. I think he's an excellent basketball coach. Was uh, Digger was there, right? Oh, yeah. So um, was the last play in regulation defense a homage to Digger and the Danny Ainge defense of the Sweet 16 with the layup where nobody gets in the way until he just lays it in? I, was, I wasn't sure that was the play. I was like, okay, okay, wait, one good defensive stand, and before you knew it, it was tight. I mean, the, they, one thing, they, the one thing you expect them to do is like really have a plan there to close out, not allow a three. They're clearly petrified of a three to lose the game, but there's got to be something more than, you know, you, you force a mid-range shot is what you force. You don't, was yeah. it Olay all the way down the lane and then pet and also afraid to foul yet. He kind of fouled. Yeah. I was going to say it almost <laughs> became, it almost became an and one situation yes. for the Hoyas. Yeah, that was, that, I mean, that, that, was was that. A, that was atypical of the, the kind of performance they've had defensively. Yeah. Next question is from Flores JM, no relation, I assume. Which member of the class of 2024 signing this week will play the most and or make the most immediate impact? Pete Sampson. Whoa. Um, I'll go with, I don't know. Can I, can I take a flyer on Micah Gilbert here? Like, yeah, sure. I don't. I don't know if I have a lot of conviction in that answer. Um, I just think that probably a younger receiver will have a chance to to flash, and maybe one of them will be as good as Notre Dame hopes they would be. But um, I don't know. It's kind of beyond that. It, it doesn't – I go down the list, and I'm not sure it's like – I don't know if there's an – is there an obvious answer that I'm just I, – I, No, I, I don't no. think it's necessarily an obvious answer. And, I, and there's a lot of smoke coming out of Notre Dame regarding Gilbert actually being in a better position to contribute right away than Cam Williams. Cam Williams yep. rated a little bit higher. Um, you know, uh, KVA is, is a. am not sure how much they're going to need him right off the bat, but I would think that his skill set would allow him to, to compete for playing time. Uh, may, hey, may, I, I mean, I don't, you know, may, maybe, eh, I want to hold off on saying that. Um <laughs> Yeah, let me, let, is that a teaser for April or a yeah, teaser let me, for let August? Me, <laughs> let me just bite my tongue on that. Let me hold off on that. Tim? Uh, KVA, because I actually think they will end up needing him a little bit. Yeah. They don't have that many linebackers. Yeah, we like, the three, we like three of their linebackers, and I like one of the linebackers. The fourth one is a defensive end. Who else do they have at linebacker on the roster? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I've talked to multiple people in the program enough to feel like I think within the program – people view KVA as the number one player in this class. I know I personally view him as the number one player in this class, and I don't have anybody who's told me they don't expect him to be a contributor in 2024. So for me, it it all begins and ends right there with him. This is a nice class. There are other guys that will emerge in teams. There are other guys that could um, potentially maybe emerge along the defensive line rotation in some way, shape, or form. But, But everything 
for me revolves around KVA in this class. And and Notre Dame will tell you, and maybe this happens Wednesday after people have signed and they can make official comments. There's a belief that, that KVA changes the perception around recruiting with Notre Dame the way that Notre Dame won that recruitment. They have five linebackers, not including the three freshmen. And one of them, Jalen Sneed, is more of a defensive end package player that I yeah. think will still play that. That will play that role. Even if he emerges as a linebacker, he will still play that role in package downs. Is that So that would op- open up some opportunities, I think, too. I, you know, I think I, I think Bryce Young is still so new to the game, yeah. but he he is long. He, he, he gets better, like he gets better with every series, with every snap. And I'm biased because I, I cover Bryant Young and I, I've said it here many times. Bryant Young's one of the most impressive Nordic football players I, I, I've, I've known in 42 years. And it goes, obviously he was a great player. He was a 49er. Did you know that Tim O'Malley? I think he, <laughs> he was uh, maybe the best rookie I've ever seen join a great team. Because he started as a nose tackle, he started at nose tackle or defensive tackle yeah. on the one of the best 49er teams of all time. I, I, last thing on this, I think Gerby Lambert has all the tools, all the physical tools to be a great offensive tackle, which wouldn't be surprising at the University of Notre Dame because they tend to churn those out, don't they? Regardless who the coach is. Final question Sigils, three parter. This is a fun one. Which Christmas Carol lyric foretells the performance of the Irish offense in the Sun Bowl? And he set this out before they had an interim offensive coordinator, but it still applies. Number one, dash away, dash away, dash away all. The Price and Love each have a chunk play touchdown runs behind a new offensive line. I'll have a blue Christmas without you, without Alt, Fisher, and Jelly. Does the passing game flutter? And I will add Jared Parker now. And number three, what child is this? The diminutive yet dynamic Jordan Faison goes for two TDs through the air and a punt return TD for good measure. All I know is what we're rooting for is number three. I don't think that's the most obvious. Gentlemen, jump in. <laughs> I will uh, I will take A in this one. Uh, and I'll also give the uh, the person who posed the question an A for effort. That was um, <laughs> of my limited run here on the Irish Illustrated podcast on Mondays this fall. That is far and away. Uh, my favorite question and my favorite framing of a question thus far. Um, you hope also that it doesn't turn into like Cartman's rendition on South Park of In the Ghetto, uh, which was a quasi-Christmas song, um, because that would be more sad news for Notre Dame in the bowl game. Uh, I, I'm going to go C, but mainly because it, there are so many young players that could get out there and do something in this game that uh, it would it would cover more than Jordan Faison. But it's more fun if it's based on. We all agree, yeah. right? Just so we're proven correct from August. I still think we need to hammer that point home how right you can be when you watch one practice and figure out he's faster than all the guys covering him. Um, I would be the wet blanket on this and add four. Two returning starters on offense, nine returning starters on defense. Marcus Freeman wants to win this game, and he is going to rely on the defense to win the game, and you will not be excited. Sorry, everybody. I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to pick number two because I don't I I don't think Nordame's going to play poorly in this game. I I would agree with JB on this. Now Oregon State's good against the run, and you know both teams their defenses are not intact but pretty darn close. So um, it'd be interesting to see just how those two offensive tackles, whichever the other one is, opposite Jagasaw. But I can see Jagasaw uh, combining with 
with Coogan and opening up a hole for Price and or Love to break through and and uh, and and take one the distance. So, and if this if this game doesn't go Notre Dame's way or doesn't go well, I will add that the most apropos Christmas Carol would be Grandma got run over by a reindeer. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to top that, JB. That's it today for Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us. Come back on Thursday, December 21st for a recruiting edition of Irish Illustrated Insider.